Welcome to Back to Basics, Babies, Bodies and Behavior with Mel Cyril and me, Ulrika Kassebrandt. And, and today we have the second episode with Zoe Woodman. It's a part two. Uh, it's so interesting to have you here on the pod, Zoe. I'm no, taking the opportunity to ask um, a question. Something that I think a lot about is, is that... Um, communication and that that the babies use the parents body as communication as a tool for communication as i see it like if if you have the the baby on your body and it wants to feed for example it will uh, search for the breast or maybe it will start with like licking licking your skin or um picking and stuff like that and it's much more difficult for the baby to do this if it's laying flat on its back in a in a bed for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's more simple to pick up the baby signals if it's close. It's also mm-hmm. easier for the baby to to signal, I would say, since it uses the, the parent's body as a kind of tool for uh, communication, as I see it. And I did a, a series of, um, I was taking pictures of um, a baby signaling, signaling for the breast uh, because I wanted to have images uh, to share with my, the parents that I um, do consults with um, of a baby signaling for the breast when the bra- baby is on body because I had seen a lot of uh, series of um, or had seen one series of images where the baby is flat on his back that is used a lot mm. uh, in like medical settings and, and so on. Uh, but then when the baby was on the body and I was taking photographs, I was like, oh, but there's no use. I mean, I don't need to have a, a series of pictures to share with the parents um, because when the baby is on body, it's so obvious, uh, uh, kind of. And uh, I can feel, and it's the same with like elimination communication. I don't know if you're into elimination communication, if you know. We, we practiced it to some degree with all three children okay yes yeah Uh, and for the listeners elimination communication if you haven't heard that I have talked about before it's about (laughs) you can use you can read the baby's signals and routines for when it needs to eliminate and you can answer these signals by by offering a a place to eliminate and it doesn't have to be in the diaper Uh, but anyway so when you have the baby on body usually the baby communicates much more clearly also that needs pee or poop by getting agitated or like my eight month old now she's uh, she's um, putting her nails into my mouth and my face like trying to scratch my face really hurts so it's really a clear signal then that something is that she is agitated by something but anyway I can feel like there's so much communication going on from from the babies mm-hmm. uh, from the baby uh, that all these attachment researchers and, the, and thinkers they don't pick up on this uh, and it really it frustrates me when I'm reading about it and I guess it go back to what, goes back to what we talked in the, in the beginning that they don't think of baby wearing and they don't think about the communication also that is really going on absolutely and, and that's but that links in then to the if you are closer to your baby and to the fact that you can even feel their signals that you are going to be more responsive to their needs and therefore you're you know that is going to impact in terms of their brain development because you're, you're able to meet their needs quicker better you know because they're right there um i'm sure that gravity is involved in terms of you know typically they're on our bodies in a more upright position or at least their torso would be in a more upright position so in terms of 
that from a natural process probably helps things too um in terms of the child is not working so much against gravity as if when they're lying down trying to signal to you um so it's probably easier for them to signal yeah and i'm thinking like all these uh, reflexes also that they are making on when they're on your body um the primitive reflexes also form a communication kind Mm -hmm. of uh, like the moral reflex would be um, spreading out with your hands when they feel that they need to fall. It's also a kind of a signal to the parent that, okay, I need, maybe I need to hold in another way or maybe I need to take things slow or uh, there's an in- interaction. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think it depends because I think as Mel's, you know, references in a bit quite a bit, so, you know, baby wearing doesn't necessarily have to be passive in terms of it's still part of that communication, but the act can be passive in that the child is not, clinging on so yeah and it's not able it's i'm thinking with the with the baby wearing it's a bit restrictive to the body on the body Mm -hmm. for the baby can't move around in the same sense but when it comes to sorry my phone went (laughs) upside down when it comes to elimination communication um the baby might also use the sling as a tool for communication because it might like try to really pull out of yeah um, uh, out of the sling and it wouldn't maybe do that when it's on body so I, I think the, the restriction of the fabric also can be used in a sense it, yeah. I mean, it's a tool for communication think, as yeah. well yeah. with the, the communication side of things I think something that comes up for me a lot is that we don't have or we don't seem to have a generational passing on of the knowledge of what babies are actually trying to communicate to us. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, in slings and arms, you can see this communication going on, but the response is, you know, the shushing or uh, bouncing up and down, you know, the, the, the trying to settle the baby rather than um, seeing, seeing the, the clear need that is being expressed. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we... Again, I I think that comes down to the fact that that's how we were then parented was to exactly, just exactly. the baby to be quiet because yeah. babies yeah. should be quiet and they shouldn't. And it is that classic case of, you know, we want them to stop crying because it's uncomfortable for us as well. Yeah. And why no, no, that no, might make no, it uncomfortable for us? Before and, it comes to crying, like the, the yeah. just the, diff, the different movements are kind of interpreted as, oh, uh, they're getting fussy now and, you know, I need to calm them down and things like this. But, um, yeah, I think it, it just goes back to the fact that if we don't know about something, how are we meant to re- respond in an appropriate way if we don't have the information anyway? And, you know, why I really feel that, you know, stuff with the communication, the stuff with the baby wearing, the stuff with the arms carrying and everything, we need to get back to a point where it's being passed down through families, you know, generation to generation. And, you know... Ideally, we kind of want to be doing ourselves out of a job, really. Yeah. How I feel. No, and I think, <laughs> like I think a baby wearing can absolutely be done in a non-responsive way. Mm, you know, and yeah, I think yeah. it's not baby wearing per se that mm. does the things. It's because of the mechanisms that it then can access in terms of the oxytocin from the touch that then the other things kind of happen. So it's not totally direct, and that's why there just probably you know, isn't the research because you can't you can't do that wiggly line in research um, because 
that you know it's key it's the it's the staying responsive so if your child's not wanting to go in the sling you know depending on what you're doing you know you need to respect their their choice to not want to go in the sling depending on what you're where you are and what you're you know what you're doing on that moment and I think it's that just coming down to responsive parenting and around what are the expectations and what are babies but yeah difficult ways there's an option sorry go on no, a difficult thing can be that maybe the baby doesn't want to be close in the swing because you are stressed or something. You are not emotionally available. You are not present. Uh, so maybe that's the reason the baby doesn't want to be close, even though the, maybe the biological expectation from the baby is to be close. Um, I think there's a lot of aspects it's difficult to be just like it's not black and white. I'm thinking it's grayscale here, yeah. and it's so much oh, totally. colored by by our Western glasses that we have on. Mm-hmm. Also, in the research, like what questions do we ask? How do we view the answers? Uh, I think that also can be frustrated when reading um, research articles like the ones that have been made on on uh, in arms carrying. You use you use a a bag of sand yeah. and then you try to make assumptions on how it would be with the, with the yep. baby carrying a baby and it's just like ridiculous actually but mm. uh, but then you don't the researcher doesn't have the viewpoint that the baby actually clings or can cling mm. or so it's that missing information again isn't it yeah which limits what what you can do yeah but so Absolutely, you talked I about comf- yeah sorry so no, i was gonna no. say it's just remaining open to learning though and mm. i think there's quite a lot of people that get to a certain level and they're like, well, I know everything now. Nobody, who are you to be telling me this information? That's clearly not important if I don't know it, you know, and there is that element that you get and that all comes down to, you know, a huge amount around patriarchy and the way mm-hmm. the world is set up around that. And I just think, you know, as a consultant, you just, I, I need to be open to learning all the time and not think I know everything because when you do that, then you're just, you know, like you say, you're going to miss information and you're going to miss mm. stuff. And the most amazing people that I've met over the years are the people that are still open to learning and open to listening to people's experiences, even if they're not in your field, even if, you know, certainly I'm thinking of a professional that we see in that, uh, it's going to sound really odd, he's an orthodontist, but he is hugely <laughs> interested in my views and opinions. And you're like, but I'm just you know I'm just me and it but it, he's really interesting in listening because that's where he will find those missing dots and those connections because mm. you, that's how it's yeah it's just gonna have it happen yeah another thing on this um I think as well that I'd like to mention is the way that research is quoted um can also be an issue um my my pet peeve study um that gets well, I don't know how much it's quoted in the baby wearing world these days, but it very much was quoted um, a while back to do with in arms carrying being 16% more uh, energy. I can't think of the word for it. Um, then energy. Yeah. 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 Then than baby wearing and stuff and kind of that getting quoted exactly like that and again I think this comes back to exclusivity of access to such research that um, adds to the problem is that if you read the entire paper um, you get to see how they were 
holding the demo doll as well, which was like completely leaning away from the body um, like that. <laughs> um, and the way that the doll was supported and the comments of the authors that they themselves um, acknowledged that, you know, without the clinging knowledge of babies, they still acknowledge that a baby is still more active than a demo doll. And oh, absolutely. And that's why when you, you know, you know that when you pick up a demo doll, you know that they yeah. behave in the same way as a child does. Even a very newborn yeah. child that doesn't have a huge amount of muscle tone. Mm. You know, the knees aren't quite the right joint and the hips aren't the right joints. Mm. And yeah, I think it's really difficult. And many authors of research will put a caveat at the bottom to say, you know, we're mm. aware of the nature of this does not necessarily isn't indicative of you know there's lots of big words used um what it I think whenever kind of you're looking at research like say you've got to think about well what question are they trying to answer by doing that research what are they trying to show what's their viewpoint and and also look to see who it's funded by because yes (laughs) you know that has an impact and I, th- I think this comes back to community again, though, as well as the fact that if if we are in a position where we are able to access um, the full articles and stuff, um, you know, how how are we sharing the information, uh, the full information that comes from such such things, and you know, is are there ways of sharing information and so forth? I think it's quite hard because obviously a lot of these are are not written in plain English they're quite wordy Mm -hmm. um, and even if you try and kind of write it in a way that would be easily understood you might then lose some of the impact because of the Mm. complexity of the nature of it it's really difficult you know and it's difficult because that's and that's exactly what I had when I was writing my article because you had to get yeah. it down in a way that people could understand and that might mean that you lose some of the detail on it but again it's thinking about what's the bigger picture um yeah absolutely it's like um it's, it, it's it can be difficult reading sometimes as well especially if you're reading article after article after article isn't it yeah and I think the one thing that you know also is that you're looking in this field uh, it can be it can be triggering um you know to people um in a way that you know if you've not experienced that yourself you might not understand um yeah, yeah. so just the act of trying to use a sling might therefore trigger um something but you know we're just not set up in this uh, society for supporting the people that need the support in the right place at the right time and i think sling libraries and consultants are often trying to fill a bit of a gap um mm. You know, we have our free stretchy uh, or stretchy, stretchy newborn hire scheme that we have and to try and get people in earlier to carry their babies sooner in a way that has a bigger impact for them um, by doing that free and then charging for the other sling hires um, so that people can continue to carry their babies in a way that feels good for them. And, uh, um, you know, until people are in a better place physically, to be able to facilitate in arms carrying then for me the sling is a useful tool but it's just a tool it enables you to do many things and whilst you you know totally see where you're coming from mel around the in arms and that you don't need a tool for some people in the hectic world that, that we live in it's just not 
always practical to do that but I think a lot of people Absolutely. do practice more in arms around the house and do it without thinking about it um and there are absolutely things you can do as a as a measure to move the weight and to change that a bit and obviously child's development is going to impact on that too and um mm. well I very much clearly do advocate the sling as a tool and absolutely acknowledge its many benefits especially in this day and age where we are very very much reliant on technology and kind of need to be in a lot of ways due to the way that society is structured and everything um but with the arms carrying the the fact is that most parents practice it every single day over and over and over again it's something almost in inescapable you know it's like it's and if we are already doing it why not give people the tools to practice it in a way which makes it easier on their body and engages the child more and helps them develop physically I think that's kind of the main point for me with my work um I think for me I've and seeing other people who practice in active in arms carrying um regularly they do seem to lean more to using arms more than they have previously used things simply because it is so easy for them Mm. um but you know there's always going to be a time and a place for the sling and I believe that biologically that time and a place probably is very much linked to when they're tired and Mm. or asleep because then they are not able to engage in in the ways that they can when they're active and alert um but even if that is kind of the baby wearing biological baseline we you know we're first of all we're individuals who have our own needs and opinions and we will use the things that we use in whatever way suits us and that's as it should be um but yeah we i think we we find in in modern society that there are so 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 many more ways and situations in which we kind of need to or we feel we need to rely on baby wearing a lot more than maybe we would have done if we were um in say all parenting cultures Mm. where you know we're sharing the task of mothering within the community and stuff um but yeah it's I think it's yeah it's just remembering that even even if we're not baby wearing and you know if people don't want to do it they can still in arms carry and they will do anyway most people because it is fairly inescapable um and you know it's 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 not one or the other no absolutely and I don't think they're they're in that competition you know it's not in competition I think they're just different things for different moments in time and again it's 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 something that people choose you know and like you say you can't not carry a child if they're really not wanting to walk (laughs) you don't get a lot of choice about that um depending on what you're doing and where you're going and um being mindful and respectful we have the invention of slings and prams and everything because if they weren't invented we'd have to rely on our arms anyway wouldn't we and I think that's kind of where where the question comes in as to what happened what made us invent the slings and um 
it's something that I'm exploring with one of my projects at the moment. So hopefully there'll be some nice information about that later in the year. Oh, exciting. No, I've, I've got a blog post actually on sort of the social history and mm. element around sling libraries because we're really lucky in this in the UK and that we do have quite a lot of sling libraries now and there's a lot more consultants um, mm. than in other areas um, around the world. And how did sling libraries come about? Because, you know, when we set up in 2012, there weren't that many and that's still not really that long ago. Um, how, ma- how many were, was it then, would you say, estimate and compared to now? I'm just oh, less than 50. Um, okay, and, and now? Over 300. Okay, because in Sweden, I think we have like, can it be 15 now? I think two years ago we had none. It's like wow. been an explosion yeah. the past it's, years. It's amazing. Um, mm. South East Slings, uh, there's a timeline of sling mm. libraries. Obviously, you're only relying on the information that you're given to put on that. So um, some of the older ones have been going a little bit longer. But in terms of it's becoming a little bit more formalized um, around it. But, you know, it's really interesting when you look at the link between the invention of prams and uh, containers around the social changes in our society in the UK around the industrial revolution and uh, where people then moved away from their families um, in communities to bigger cities to to man these factories you know and um, they started separating babies and and mums because they needed more workers and they needed women's work Um, and so that meant that babies were put, you know, with, with people that looked after them and um, you didn't have your extended family around you anymore. And that's in terms of evolution, really not that long ago um, in terms of, you know, that Victorian era, the, the post-industrial revolution and then the Victorian era and around decimating kind of that, you know, babies should be should be seen and not heard kind of attitude and I think it's really interesting that we get to the point that we're at now where we have the you know the mental health crisis and we have the biggest cancer rates uh, and you know we're looking at all those things and you look back and you know I just think that's quite interesting when you can see the physical impact of that change ripple mm-hmm. through kind of history um, in, in a relatively short amount of time and I sort of draw a line on my chart when I'm talking to parents and go, you know, this is evolution and this is when prams are invented. And then they see (laughs) all this history of kind of evolution and what we kind of would do. And I think they're then going, okay, you know, and just trying to, again, it's getting that information across in a way that is meaningful for those people, but to understand what their baby's needs might be and why they do that and changing expectations is a massive thing. Um, Yeah. And I think in one thing in history, also us becoming farmers, like, 10,000 years ago or so also made us they think have a lot more babies uh, much more often otherwise it would have been like four years maybe between the babies and now it was maybe a year or two years or some and also during the industrial revolution it was also you could have a baby every year maybe Uh, and that's must have impact caring as well I think I'm thinking Mm -hmm. having more babies small babies to carry actually uh, and that's, I'm thinking that's a part of mm. it as well I don't know if it's anything also yeah I'm also being into like the evolutionary history of human and uh, uh, looking into this uh, as well because it interests me so much and like why the change and why the change of the norms and stuff like that mm. um, but having more babies I'm thinking a lot must be because if you look at like hunter-gatherer um, societies they don't have babies that often 
they wean them much um, after um, three, four, five years maybe instead of uh, more early. Yeah, it's definitely interesting sort of that anthropology and the, the kind of the the way that that we developed and changed as humans as what you know to get to this point um yeah because yeah. i think there's a, there's this um this group of people called the ikung i don't know how really you pronounce it but mm-hmm. they have a proverb that uh to, and i can't cite it now really correctly but as i remember it it's uh, uh to get the baby more often than every two years is to guarantee yourself a, a backache Mm. and that's kind of says a lot i think yeah that's in in the mother thingy mother nature yes by yeah sarah blesser hardy yeah Mm. yeah yeah i think it's it's also really really interesting that how much has changed in just a hundred years um based and heavily i feel based on um inventions Mm. Think, and commercialism mm. capitalism probably impact. capitalism for sure <laughs> yeah. yeah and we're not having to wait you know thousands or tens of thousands of years to see the impact of that because it's been so intense in such a short period of time that you can see the the effects of these things here and now and i think it provides kind of a stark warning going forwards as to how we how we deal with this and kind of take some steps backwards I feel is needed <laughs> to um to even begin to start yeah dealing with that yeah and there's this idea uh, from uh, Sue Gearhart who wrote uh, Why Love Matters she's uh I think she's British actually mm-hmm. she's uh um uh, therapist I think and she runs something in Oxfordshire, some kind of um, initiative for parents and children, or she, she, she did. Uh, anyway, she talks about that, like commercialism need, needs us to be, no, the capitalism needs us to be needy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're not feeling fulfilled and content, uh, we're good shoppers. We'll keep shopping. Yeah. Uh, so maybe baby wearing and touch is, is anti-capitalist. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it will maybe make us more content. I don't know. Mm. I, I think, think it's in- uh, you're onto something there. <laughs> yeah, I think so. No, but I think it's interesting to 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 view stuff from that perspective as well. Like, is there interest? Is there an interest from the market for for more content uh, people? Because I think also what in arms, what is uh, competing with in arms. And baby wearing is as well, of course, it's like the, the the buggies and the attitude that the baby should be on their own much more and in bouncers and walkers and whatever, uh, in containers. Yeah, and it's definitely something yeah. I reference with with clients, you know, and we'll say, what does what does a baby need? Like, really, what do they need? Not the top 10 things that babies need that someone that's trying to sell you stuff is telling you they need. Um, you know, and it's that knowing where the information is coming from, who's, it, you know, who's it written by, what are they trying to say? You know, there's an article this week uh, in The Independent, the top 10 best carriers 
because that exists um you know written by somebody that is not in the industry that um uh, is a journalist that has slings in there that um, carriers that people would be like really you know and this is some that you know it's all about like you say it's all about people trying to sell you stuff and I think that's part of what I do and what many consultants do is to try and really pair that back and strip it back and go, look, your baby just needs you, mm. <laughs> you and your body. And that's really hard because we live in a society that is massively selfish, that we don't expect our lives to have to change when we have a child, that we expect them to just come along with us and do whatever we were doing before. When in reality, that's just not massively possible. And yeah, I think it's a huge amount of change that parents go through and I think that's the biggest thing that many struggle with is it's the it's the amount of change in your life that you're just not quite prepared for um yeah, yeah and if you do yeah. you have to buy something to you know and I say this you know it's, it's often because we go back to work too soon because we have to go back to work to buy all this stuff that we need mm-hmm. that we don't need that society tells us we need and we have to pay someone else to look after our child so that we can pay their taxes and they can pay taxes and we all have to pay into the system when you know it's yeah it's interesting <laughs> yeah and so then yeah it's a big change and then we might also feel um um what do you say it might be tough with all the physical contact that the baby wants mm. and needs uh I think it's having to put aside, it is having to put aside yeah. our needs in that moment because yeah. that baby's need is bigger because their brain is at this point where they need that more than we need that you know um and it's yeah but yeah yeah, but approaching the parent and the the parents or i remember myself i've had now three kids and for the first kid it was quite intense with all the the physical contact and it's different now with the third child i kind of i have different expectations i got used Mm -hmm. to it i worked on my own (laughs) um, background my own baggage or whatever uh, as well so it's not the same but i think that's i think that's a, a big it's bigger than I think we as consultants, I think it's bigger than we that I at least have thought about uh, um, much before. I also asked that to Henrik Norholt about like, what about when you feel it's too much with the physical touch? You feel touched out, even though you, maybe even if you haven't had that much touch from the no, baby. Absolutely it was too much. And he said that he had when he saw that these um, mothers he had met in in Denmark and he's from he's Danish and uh, that he had had not expected them to feel resistance to Mm -hmm. the the physical touch Uh, and him saying that and I also felt and I can feel what I what I meet also in the in the community that it's it's bigger than I think it's a a big issue actually Mm -hmm. yeah and I think some of it absolutely goes back to the neurobiology of, of what your body baseline is around what your normal was and um and around that but I think and something that um Emily Fratcore from Calm Family talks around is you know it's sort of that good enough parent it's not giving 110% all the time it's it's it's, you know 80-85% of the time so if there's a day where you have had enough touching out that you would say you know you're respectfully do you know what I've just had enough right now I need to break because again, what you're then showing your child is that you're able to self-regulate and that that's okay to step out sometimes when you've had enough of certain things. And then, you know, I remember that in the days with my my third child and it was very hard. And I remember just saying to my husband, can you just take him away? Like, I just need five minutes, you know, in the middle of the night, just 
it's too much and he and he would take baby down and then after 10 minutes i would be fine and then we, we, would, we would start again and you know it's a huge yeah, but I guess, yeah, within yeah, that but then you, kind you of two yeah you were two, yeah so yeah i think that's exactly. natural that, but it doesn't have alone, to be think, from one person does it yeah and we're no so absolutely alone. And for me, it was my husband understanding Mm -hmm. that it wasn't a personal thing to him that I was just in that moment, you know, and I think a lot of people would be like, why are you shouting at me? I'm like, I'm not shouting. I'm just shouting at it, you know, Um, and to not be to not take those things personally can be really hard depending on your background. So, um, yeah, I think Mm. that makes a big difference. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. Um, There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, like also like and that i guess like our society feeds of or uh, is dependent on that like we're so alone also in our parenting a lot i mean in sweden we have a a very generous uh, or it's not very generous but it's a generous uh, parental leave you can and it's uh, they encourage you to share it between the parents and you can also stay home both parents for 30 days um and you have paid leave and you're allowed to take this leave from your job um, you cannot get fired uh, if you take the leave uh, and there was an article in New York Times I think it was now six months ago actually about this uh, the Swedish model for the parental leave but anyway but then you're pretty alone as a parent when you stay home with your child in Sweden mm-hmm. so that can be problematic because it gets I'm the one taking like all the physical contact uh, during mm. the day and that can be think, too much yeah. I think that shows that what we really need is cultural change isn't it yeah it's not just like oh so we need to touch more and we need to do this and that for our babies it's how can we actually facilitate this in a way that supports the parents as well you know and yeah I think society needs to change drastically to facilitate that um the last thing I wanted to mention on, on the touch side of things was um, that it was interesting on the most recent course in Sweden, exploring the touch side of things. Um, we did different things in different groups and two of the trainees explored. Um, and they they were two trainees who, um, who you know, aren't, are a bit averse to touch as well anyway and they explored the different types of touch that felt acceptable to them you know the um and yeah that that kind of really opened up another window of thought to do with it going back to what you were saying Orika about you know when touch is too much what do we do and I think if we dig deeper um, beyond you know just the the touch being too much say you know if the sling is is too much for them I think was was one of the questions that you had before um thinking about but okay so so if if this isn't really feasible then what what types of touch are okay for different people and how can that be incorporated into the caregiving and you know, it's potentially something that can be built upon if we first find out what is what is okay for that individual person, because it's always going to change between people as well, isn't it? And um, you know, I think I think with the if with the 
all-enclosing kind of touch that comes with baby wearing you know a step before the baby wearing can be you know the facilitating the in arms carrying and then taking steps towards baby wearing and you know if 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 in arms carrying is too much then i think that's something that obviously needs digging deeper into and um can be well well outside our remit as well um yeah, well, I think for me, it's just thinking with anything. It's not. It's not all or nothing. No, no, as you were saying exactly. before, it's very grey scale, yeah. and it's not. Mm. Overall, it's about consistency. So, mm. you know, it's it's building in those things into your life, regardless of what it is. You know, whether it's healthy eating or whether it's you know, it's not viable to say, right, I'm not going to eat any of that particular food stuff because then we're just denying what we want. So to say, well, actually, do you know what? It's not realistic. I'm going to allow myself to have three biscuits a day and then I'm maybe going to go down to two biscuits a day or you know it's, it's not trying to just throw out everything and and also I think something that gets put around is that you know baby wearing is a fix-all when it when it isn't and it goes a lot lot deeper than that and from you know it is about the responsive kind of parenting side of it um and that's what it builds on and you know much as my article in Juno says baby wearing <laughs> fixes yeah. it it's not it's not saying that if that makes sense it's it's trying to say that it what it is is a tool that allows us to be more responsive and it allows us to give more than perhaps we might feel comfortable with doing in that moment because because it allows us to do that in that way I don't know if that makes sense yeah I think I think you've hit on a very very important point as well um this baby wearing as a fix-all thing um and it's something that we really do have to be wary of don't we um I mean you know there there may be instances where baby wearing actually is potentially a, a negative thing for a baby or child um in certain situations absolutely the um connected for life uh on Facebook is set up by somebody that that a daughter had a traumatic start to life and and really struggled with touch and how to build that in and you know somebody might just go in and we well, just need to carry a baby in a sling like that takes away so much from that yeah. around what that child needs and that's not being responsive to just be no. putting a child in a sling and they're screaming and screaming and screaming but it's about recognizing so often when babies go into a sling or any form of transition they might not they might explain that they're not happy with that move and if you give it a few moments and you do the natural movement and you you know you rock and you pat sometimes that's fine and then they're okay and it's about that balance of going is this okay are they still happy are they oh okay they're happy now so this is right to go actually this is clearly still not happy 10 minutes later with a screaming baby going but baby wearing's meant to be okay or you know and it's yeah i think or the baby or yeah or the baby needed to pee you know and yeah. we just need to have that information as well i mean yeah. it's just so it's just yeah. i think it's um so interesting and so frustrated it is so many layers on this and mm. so many uh aspects that you can pull in to the baby wearing it's not just like wearing the baby it's like the biomechanics is the communication it's like uh what's the season where do you where you live what's the season like what what's the um, uh, what can you afford what what kind of uh information can you get and how to use this thing and i think it's all these layers uh and also then the the brain and the neurological development is a part of this as well uh, so Absolutely. and that's also yeah and that's also like uh the baby change so much during the period you also carry so that's also an, uh, 
uh, it's not just like okay now I learned how to what my baby like it's two months old yeah but in a couple of weeks it's three months old and then you have a, the next the next stage of like physical de- development so it's that's that aspect as well is so yeah, being as I you say responsive to the change yeah and, and I think that's something we to what is we kind of have a tool and then we just keep using it in the same way and it's yeah. you need to change then how you're using it depending on things that have changed and, and again I, I literally said that this morning on a, a Facebook live you know your baby at some point will maybe want their arms out you know and it's adapting and changing what you have to to the circumstances and and, and what you're doing um you know so for some people that'll be changing up and maybe using a toddler carrier or a preschool carrier you know for some people they won't need that and it's not you can't just put blanket statements out there regarding any of this. You can't say that carrying is going to do this or you can't really say that, you know, when your child gets to this point, they're going to need this because we're all individuals and it's a, it's a working dynamic. And we all parent differently as well anyway. And we all meet the children's needs in different ways. So, you know, people who aren't baby wearing can be absolutely fully responsive and give their child um, all of the touch needs that they need and stuff and on the other end of the spectrum you know someone may baby wear but the rest of the time when they're not baby wearing they may not be you know a responsive parent it's, wow, and I just wanted to mention one little bit of information I just grabbed my little notebook because um, you I can't remember what it was but you said something that reminded me of something that Dr. Pavel Zawitkowski, I think, excuse me, Polish doctor who gave gave a lecture at the Polish baby wearing conference last year, September, I think. Something that was really interesting that he said, which I did he email him about afterwards, but I never received a response. So I don't have um, this, you know, reference for this information other than what he said. He was saying that within 14 days babies get used to being restrained in whatever the thing the car seat the pram the sling or whatever um and you know will eventually fall asleep or whatever and appear to um enjoy it or whatever but are in a sense broken into you know accepting what we've put upon them and that just really fascinated me and I really wanted to look deeper into that but haven't had a response so (laughs) don't know where he got that information from if that's just his personal opinion but it did kind of get me thinking um about that but you know anybody who's had a car seat hater knows that (laughs) (laughs) that is not necessarily true (laughs) um yeah no it was it was still interesting no and I think for me it's it's just trying to work more collaboratively it's trying to work Mm. with osteopaths or chiropractors or people where Mm. you know you might see a baby that's a bit wonky in the sling or you you know there's certain things that parents say to you and you think oh well to me that sounds like that but that's not my specialism so Mm. you know suggesting other practitioners that they can use or you know seeing chiropractors suggesting slings to to, to parents and just working in that much more kind of collaborative way and there are some amazing hubs out there where there are a lot of parenting things in one place that so you know a lot of consultants might work out or run libraries from that mm. are starting to work in much more of that connected way um so sort of do it like really a mother is a really good one 
Um, Lizzie is a, the consultant that does that and they work together within their sort of like a small community but with other people and around self-care and lots of all these things and so it's starting to happen I think. Um, it's so important isn't it and it's just it's wonderful seeing um, these sorts of communities being built and thriving um, and just yeah yeah it's wonderful that some people are able to access these things and we need more of it around the country and around the world really don't we well absolutely and the world health organization recognized that in their report that they put out mm. last year it's a really fascinating read around nurturing care and, and in order to you know it's talking about thriving not just surviving mm. and mm. it was saying about the you know the importance of those early years and all the evidence that shows all of this and 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 it's meant to be used as a framework for governments and for societies to build on to to layer into society and yet our government has cut all the funding for early years and you're like this goes directly against the world health organization and you know it's written with in support of unicef and the world bank and lots of amazing kind of organizations no we're still just fighting over brexit you know <laughs> what is important uh-huh no yeah. just like you st- nice distraction from the real issues yep yeah no, absolutely and I think for me the a real amazing thing Eureka said was you know it is like a jigsaw puzzle mm. like a 500 piece jigsaw puzzle we've all got some bits and we just need to put them all together and sometimes you might have the outside but you've still got no idea what the picture looks like and you might have one bit of your picture which looks like that and actually when you put the other bits in place it changes the whole picture mm. um I think it's again a really... going back to communication and collaboration isn't it and working together rather than against each other and yeah and also, I think brain development works in that sort of way as well, mm-hmm. you know, in that you, know, you kind of need all the pieces there. You kind of need them in the right order, too, because if they're not connected to the right thing, to the right thing, to the right thing, then that's not going to give you the same picture. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, this feels like um, a good point to finish. So thank you so much, Zoe, for joining us. It's been wonderful. Um, so yeah goodbye yeah goodbye thank you thank you so much Zoe bye thank you for having me bye